skills, don't worry. Oh, I don't know if you should. I've, I've watched like uh, your other videos and they're, they're all absolutely fine. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch the one with Edgar? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was um, an interesting uh, conversation as well. It was inter uh, interesting to see who was interviewing who there. Yeah, because we didn't really want it to be an interview. Like we wanted it to be, just be a chat, but then obviously someone has to somehow start it. Yeah. So like, I'm just going to start. But then he like asked me the same question and it became a bit of a, like more of a chat, but, but that's yeah. what it should have been really. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because also we have kind of the same education, so it wouldn't really make too much sense with me interviewing him. But it also depends, obviously. The other American guy, I was just interviewing him, but he had a lot to say, so. <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose it, it just, you're just going with the flow in terms of like uh, um, what's happening with the person that you're talking to. Sometimes you might need to do a little bit more to get what you need out of them. Yeah. And other, other times you might have to shut them up. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, tr I try not to shut people up because I think also it like, like, for example, the American guy, he, like, talked a lot and kind of, like, went a little bit for me around in circles. But I think that's just kind of who he is and how he is and also on his, like, social media. So, obviously, that's what should come across. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like the, the, as long as the person kind of comes across and what they want to say is said, then that's okay. Yeah. Um, I did an interview with some friends of mine, two dancers, and I didn't really feel it was that honest. I just thought it was kind of pretty basic. But everyone's like, oh, my God, this interview was so honest. They really shared everything. And I was like, did they? Or yeah. like, because I know so much more about them that I was like, I don't feel they shared anything, but okay. Yeah, that's probably more the case is that, like, you know, you, you would have um, sort of only just sort of just touched sides with him. I said to, to Millie on Monday that I'm obviously doing this, mm -hmm. uh, this interview. And she said, well, look, when you're done with it, can you share it with me? And I'm like, yeah, but you can't. You can't turn around to me and say, well, I haven't said everything that I should because there's a level of honesty that you or a level of information that you want to put out there. And as much as you are trying to be honest, mm. um, there's, there's some stuff that leaves you, one, a little bit too vulnerable or it's a case of, you know, talking about it. Some people just don't understand it. Um, so, yeah, she's, she's quite interested to... Uh, yeah, but to I think... Like if I shared with what I talked with my therapist about, like even to my friends, yeah. I think now to my friends, I like to do share it, but most yeah. normal people would be a little bit like, are you like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. But I suppose on, on our topic, like I talk to her a lot about success and failure. Okay. Um, because I know today we're going to discuss that a lot in life, sorry, in, in the sports context. And I, I may double in it with personal stuff, but that's, uh, I think that's uh, like a resounding theme in everything I do anyway. Okay. Um, so yeah, hence why she's interested to see what I have to say. Yeah. I might share the interview as well with my CrossFit page because I talked to one of the guys there and I said that I was doing some different interviews and then I mentioned this one as well. And he was like, yeah, it would be cool to just kind of see for everyone, you know, because I just told him about this challenge that you that you've done. Yeah. I didn't actually talk about failure. I just said like, you've done this challenge and, and then he said, <laughs> To, to see that so yeah but they're not actually crossfit anyone more obviously but. yeah i think before we sort of actually sort of delve into real topics i think there's people who have said uh they're not crossfit affiliated anymore but actually if you go into um, crossfit.com they're still affiliated oh really yeah oh interesting i'm going to check but i don't think they are because it's like a very big organization they have about 
I would say like a hundred CrossFit boxes in Denmark. Yeah, yeah. and then you, you, you may find they have stripped it. I, I just know, like in London, there were several places who said they have yeah. uh, de-affiliated and they still pop up on the affiliate map. Oh, interesting. That's interesting that so, they don't want to like admit to it. That's very strange. Or, or they just haven't got around to doing it. But I just feel like if you've made a, a post to your community saying that you are no longer affiliated, you need to make sure that you've done that. Yeah. Well, Even in if, city now, there's another CrossFit gym coming that is actually CrossFit. So it's a bit annoying because I kind of want to go to them because the two, my two favorite trainers from the other one, has, they're the ones who's opened it. Okay. But the problem is that I'm not going to stay in the city. So in a few months' time, I'm going to move to a different city. And this one that has all the change, you can just you don't even have to change your membership. You can just go to a different yeah. shop. So it's like doesn't really make sense to change. But I kind of want want to. So I think I might just go to both places just to get extra training. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would only it would only be for two months, right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I'll, I'll still be in the so my my dad still lives in the city. So I'll still come like a few times, like a week or something. It's not far. It's only 40 minutes from here. But yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe I'll do, I'll do two. Here CrossFit is cheap anyway, so. Yeah, it's not like London. No, like the monthly membership uh, in my one is like 30 pounds. Uh, yeah, whereas, yeah, it's 200. It's like unlimited, open gym, everything you want. Like you can even do like three classes a day that don't say anything to that. No, uh, I mean, 25 pounds a day pass for London. I'm just saying you could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've heard you can. I've never done it. Yeah. But sometimes I've done two because they have like mobility and then normal ones. So quite often I'll do like a mobility class first and then I'll do a, a normal class. But that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But I haven't, I haven't done more than that yet. <laughs> but I've been every single day since they opened now. So I'm pretty, pretty pleased with myself. On a, on a roll then. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. like. I'm like loving it. And then also I think that the programming is not as tough as it was before. So it's kind of, it's kind of good. But even the trainer came to me and he said like, maybe you should take a day off. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's sweet. <laughs> no. Um, <clears throat> okay. So I'll, I'll start. Okay. And make sure, I'm, make sure my hair looks okay before we start. <laughs> on my best note you never know who's watching. yeah I, i've given up I, i'm happy looking like a, a hairy hobo at the moment during <laughs> during lockdown well that's your that's your yeah. image yeah. <laughs> for a dancer that doesn't work no i don't know if hairy would be my like go-to anyway <laughs> no. okay i'll start uh, actually let me just do this the sound recording as well for the um, Okay, so I am here with Andy McTaggart, who is a fitness enthusiast. Uh, and not only has he done some uh, incredible challenges, which we will talk a little bit about later, but he also coaches people and he has actually been my trainer on and off for about 10 years or something like that. Uh, and he's one of the most mentally tough people that I know. He might disagree, but this is my opinion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he is a great trainer who has like a really good way of getting the best out of his clients. So I really wanted to have a chat with him today to find out a little bit more about him and the challenges that he's done and also how he motivates his clients. So hi, Andy. Hey, Christina. Um, 
<laughs> I suppose you want me to go into a little introduction? Yeah, so if you could yeah. introduce yourself a little bit more, tell me a little bit more about like how you started, how you got into training and coaching like in the first place. Yeah, so I, I suppose growing up as a, a kid in, uh, in Zimbabwe, you know, I was very used to being active, playing sport. Um, you know, when uh, I didn't do very much studying or very much schoolwork, I was playing sport. Um, and I suppose it all started sort of going into high school that uh, I didn't enjoy uh, sat behind books or computers. I, again, just enjoyed being active. And it was probably the time when, you know, there was sport was starting to become professional in a lot of um, sort of a, a lot of individual sports. So rugby, for example, was my go-to. Um, and at sort of that stage, being being good at sport at school kind of meant where you sat in the, the hierarchy of the school, so to speak. Uh, so I was at a boarding school, which, you know, I was there for four to, six, four to six weeks at a time. And you literally either were studying or you played sport. So it was, it was just something that I, I fell in love with pretty quickly. Um, enjoyed the feeling of it being part of teams. And so I left school thinking, you know, rugby was going to be my career. I was going to be a professional rugby player. Um, but I still had to, to do some degree. So I, I ended up going to the University of Pretoria, uh, studied as a sports scientist while trying to make it as a, a rugby player. Um, and I think for the first two years that I was there, I probably felt like I was going to be able to give it a good go. And I think sort of through that, through that stage, I think there was a realization that just how many people actually make it as a professional sports person. And that wasn't going to crack it. Uh, so I stuck with sports science and sort of personal training and strength conditioning, sort of that aspect of it, but still heavily stayed with sport, either playing it or, or coaching. Um, so I think for it would be 18 years now, I've been involved as a PT, a strength conditioning coach, um, some way, shape, or form, helping people be active. Um, so I played, I played rugby until I was about 24. Still needed something competitive, so I was uh, I, I turned to cricket um, when I moved to the UK, and uh, that that only lasted about two three years because of the weather we have here. <laughs> um, you know, to, to make a, a whole whole day trip out to play and then not have um, not have a game because of the weather uh, didn't work. But I still needed some something competitive, even though I'm not uh, uh, or I wasn't playing rugby. I still have this competitive instinct to to challenge myself to be better, um, whatever that might look like. So I found CrossFit, um, 2013, probably. Uh, and and have been heavily involved in that um, initially as uh, sort of sort of competing and then later on more following the, the methodology behind sort of styles of training involved with that um, and through through that journey of sort of my own sports and what I have have been doing um, as you mentioned earlier I've got involved in some stupid challenges uh, <laughs> But at the same point, evolved as a from where I would see myself as just a trainer to um, a coach. Okay. 
um, I think there's a big difference between between those two rather than just uh, telling someone what to do and, and making someone work out just for the sake of being fit, uh, but also then helping them grow sort of personally and, and understanding how to get the best out of themselves. Mm. Um, that was developed through through my time as a, as a CrossFit coach. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very I'm very lucky that for most of my most of my life outside of school, I've done nothing but uh, sports training, which I'm very passionate about. So I'm very grateful that that's that's what sort of my career has been been built around. Mm. Um, and sort of where where I sit now is I am I am I am a CrossFit coach uh, as well as a personal trainer. Um, and, and still a, a sports enthusiast who does stupid things every now and then. Uh, but yeah, just very, very, uh, very passionate about, about what I do and uh, sort of um, sharing that with other people, I think, is a big thing. Yeah. It sounds like the, the kind of common theme between all, like through all your life, and obviously you've done kind of different sports, but it's like this kind of challenging yourself. Is that, would you say that as well? Yeah, I think um, I, I don't know whether or not this is something that comes naturally or it's, it's built up as sort of the environment as you are as a kid. Um, but I, I'll, I'll probably go through it maybe every six, seven months or so where I just don't feel like I'm doing enough. Um, I think it's, you know, this inner drive to always try and not necessarily be better, but or maybe it's just make the most, most of what we're doing. Um, and sometimes we, or sometimes I feel like, you know, having that, the challenge is also sort of a, an outlet. Um, it's an opportunity for you to, uh, you know, to push yourself to maybe see where you're currently sitting at, whatever, whatever that might be, but, um, uh, you know, uh, sort of silly things like the rowing, just the rowing challenges that I've done, or it's just a challenge of getting back into, you know, back into another sport, what, whatever it might look like. I think it's, it's taking your, taking yourself outside of your comfort zone. Um, because I, I've, I've certainly found that, you know, if you sit in that comfort zone a little bit too long before you, before you realize it, um, two years have passed and, uh, you know, you haven't, you've maybe not made the most of some opportunities that you've had. Um, or there's, there's stuff that you've, you've missed out on. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of trying to find ways, uh, on a, on a pretty regular basis at the moment to, to challenge myself or test myself to see where I'm at. Mm. Um, and, and I think that, that allows us to keep sort of ticking over in terms of either being consistent or allowing us to grow and develop, um, a bit physically or, or mentally. Yeah. You said that you, you sometimes get to this point where you feel like you're not doing enough. And <laughs> I, think I can definitely relate to that. And I think many, many athletes can, because it's kind of, I suppose, a kind of common personality of an athlete. Do you find that that's like a positive thing that pushes you? Or do you feel that it's a bit of a stress at times as well? Oh, I, I, I think a lot of it can be sort of in that time when you come to that realization, what your current mindset is. Um, I think if you, you know, if you're in a really good place that can become a big driver to, to be a, a positive aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you'll, you'll grab it with both hands and, and sort of just run with it. 
But I think on the other side, and I, I've definitely been there as well, where you know maybe uh, um, maybe you've just had a really bad day or a really bad week, and that realization kicks in. And when that happens, that can be quite a negative uh, negative effect, especially when you you know if you talk to friends or, or um, you know work colleagues, whatever it might be, they don't necessarily get what that might feel like, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, you know, they, it's, people think it can sometimes be an easy thing to snap out of, but it can very quickly turn into sort of a, a sort of a, a downward spiral to some demotivation. And as we know, like if you if you lose focus on one thing, you probably find so. Say for example, it's your training or your career, then your nutrition and stuff and your sleep probably goes hand in hand with that. Mm. And then suddenly, instead of one thing that you're trying to pick up, you're trying to pick up everything else at the same time. Um, so I, I've, I've certainly found when I go through those um, sort of those, I wouldn't want to call them lows, but that realization period that a lot of it can be like where my current mindset is. Um, if it's like I said, if I'm, you know, particularly like if I've come to that realization after a training session, I'm on a high mind, endorphins are flowing and I'm like, uh, I'm going to grab it with both hands um, and just run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, then, then it's, uh, then it's sort of 100 miles an hour and we're going to get on top of this. So it, it, it can really go from two extremes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think I suppose it's all about finding some kind of balance in it as well. And yeah. At least for me, a constant challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I think, I think anyone, who's, anyone who's used to uh, being part of team sports or having so much structure, like, you know, I, I used to think of uh, back in the days when I was playing rugby, you were, uh, we had training sessions at six o'clock in the morning. You then had breakfast. You then went to university. You were back training in the afternoon, uh, sort of just after lunchtime. Then you had a break and then you were back training in the evening. And that was like a cycle every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're so used to routine. And then when that routine goes, you can almost become a little bit lost because you've, you've, you've gone from not necessarily just working at 100 miles an hour, but you have a structure to your day. Mm. and you have a purpose and suddenly that purpose is taken away from you. You, you don't understand what you should be doing. Um, and then suddenly you two weeks down the line, you've been doing nothing and that can create that negative, that negative sort of feeling. And it's, I think it's not as relevant today, but certainly if you looked at it maybe 10, 15 years ago, when people left uh, a sport career or when they failed as sportsmen or they had to give it up, that was certainly the case. I think there was probably a, a, lot of, um, a lot of people struggling with not having challenges or, or, or stuff to drive them on, on an everyday basis. Hmm. I think so as well. And I think it's still, it's still a challenge for people that stop. It's like this career transition that is quite difficult because you see your whole, your whole identity is within this and you're so used to like hmm. constantly working towards this next competition or that next challenge. And then, your whole life just becomes about that. And then suddenly there's like, okay, no more challenges left. What, what, what am I now? And then it's nice sometimes to have maybe finding challenges in other areas. Yeah. And I, I think particularly like in this, this day and age, you know, we, uh, stuff that revolves around uh, social media, you know, uh, you look at professional rugby players, any, any athlete, you know, they, you get a lot of recognition uh, through sort of, through your sport, through social media, whatever it might be. And, and suddenly that, like you said, that's your identity. 
Mm. And now you don't have that sport anymore or, you know, you're worried about maybe how people are going to perceive you because you're no longer that, uh, you, you're worried that you're not going to be seen as that person. Mm. Um, and, and it's then, well, what are you, what are you working towards? Um, so, so yeah, I, I think, um, you know, you, you take it outside of sport. You see it the same with people's careers within business. You know, if they lose their, if they lose their job, um, mm. and I suppose that's where, uh, I, I probably get a little bit of, um, I wouldn't say uh, that's, that's where sort of the coaching plays a part when you're working with people with their own training, mm. um, and the everyday person who, you know, the, they're happy one minute and you know, like what's going on at the moment, some, someone loses their job. Um, and that, that can be quite, that can have quite a negative impact on them because there's a lot of fears and concerns and, uh, and, and worry about what they're going to be doing next. Um, and then you've got to try to support them, support yeah. them through that, that journey. And I think that's what a real good uh, coach does as well. A trainer is someone who, who can really like kind of see it as an overall thing because everything affects that training as well. And then it might be something outside that is affecting why you're not training as you should be. And then trying to like work around all those issues, I suppose it's a, it's a big challenge sometimes. Yeah. I, I, you know, we, while we've gone through this sort of this lockdown period, uh, something I would have spoken to you know, a lot of my members about is when we do our training or what, for whatever reason we're doing something, you need to understand your why to it. Mm. so why are you exercising um and if you can always remember that then you can look at the how the what's the when's um and i'll certainly do that you know when i i start off with a client or even when i'm, I'm coaching with people is trying to understand the why that they're in the gym right. you know I'll, i'll give you an example if you if i'm busy running a crossfit class and um i have a group you know maybe the lunchtime groups and working out and i've got three or four people down the one end of the room who are going all out. And then I've got another three or four on the other side of the room who are, are working pretty hard, but in between their reps, they're socializing and chatting and, and, mm. and they're enjoying themselves. I've got the group down at the far side who are going all out because they are there to train, sweat, um, break themselves, whatever it might be. And then the group who are chatting are there to socialize. Mm. If I, as a coach went up to them and said, look, I need you to stop talking. I need you to stop working harder but their why is there to socialize and have a good time. Mm. I, I, I'm not going to be doing my job as their coach to get, to make sure that that hour of their day that they're training. Um, I know it's cheesy when you say this, but the best hour of their day, so to speak, mm. um, because they're in there, they've been active, they're laughing they're having fun and you know, they're, they're healthy. And I, I think when we seen more and more of this, that, getting out and being active and physical training is, is great. But yeah. there's a, there's a second part that then comes to that, which is your mental health. You can be the, in the best shape of your life, but if your mental health isn't in line with that or aligned with it, um, I think all that's happening is you're waiting for sort of, a, a, essentially a, you're going to fall into a deep dark hole. That's going to be a struggle to get out of. Hmm. Um, because you're not going to understand what maybe what happiness feels like or um, how to, how to pick yourself up from that sort of stuff. So it's, it's a fine line with when coaching or training people is to, yes, we're going to get them physical, physically active. We're going to get them moving really well, but we also need to make sure that um, they're enjoying themselves and they understand 
and we understand why they're there and what they're doing. Hmm. Do you find that a challenge? Because as, as I know you, your goal of exercising is not socialized. <laughs> as you say, that is, <laughs> that's, uh, I think that's pretty obvious that that's not why you, why you train, which is obviously fine. We all have different reasons that we train. And I think I'm probably more, more towards your, your, your way of being as well. But do you find it a, a challenge if you get someone who's like a client who just come in and they just basically want to socialize or they just kind of like, just want to train a little bit to look good or whatever it is, something that, that maybe you is not similar to yourself. Do you find that a challenge or, or is that not, a, not an issue? I think if you had asked me that question 12 years ago, I probably would have said, um, uh, you know, that uh, it's my style of training and that's it. Okay. Um, regardless of what your why is. But I think as you spend time in an industry and, you know, you go through, uh, different avenues within fitness so it's not just about like the training aspect but you start looking at uh, sort of mental health and how to connect with people as a as a coach you need to be able to adapt to get the best out of the people that you're working with yeah so i would certainly say now my style of training is my style um and a lot of how, how i will coach or train someone is based again on their why and what they enjoy Okay. what they enjoy doing. Um, you know, you, you often, uh, often get people, um, I know this will make you laugh, uh, people who like jumping, really? jumping, on, <laughs> jumping onto, jumping onto objects. Um, I, could, I could not imagine who you'd be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll be surprised how many adults are worried about jumping onto an object. Um, uh, like, like, a, a, like jumping onto a box or something like that. I'm surprised um, people are worried about it, if I'm honest. No, like, especially when you see someone, you know, obviously in the CrossFit world, jump, someone jumps on a box and they catch the shin and take half, half their skin off. No one wants to jump on a box in. Yeah. Um, is if someone has a fear of jumping onto the box, unless they want to overcome that fear, you know, jumping onto a box is is part of being fit and healthy. But, just get them doing a standing long jump, for example. Hmm. It's, it's a very similar, um, very similar movement. Granted, it's um, going forward rather than, than up. Hmm. But at the same point, you are not forcing someone to do something that they're uncomfortable with. Right. And then they're still going to be enjoying the session that they might be doing and feeling like at least they're doing something. So it's, it's not just a case of... Um, when you're working with that person about getting them uh, physically better, you also want to build them up as a human being. Right. You know? So is your goal not to make them not uncomfortable or would you want to like push that a little bit or would you leave that up to the person whether they would want that or not? I, I, I suppose it's, it's when you first meet that person and as you continue to review your um, sort of your relationship with them as you are, you know, building that sort of client and, and coach relationship is that you do need to push them outside of their comfort zone a little bit, hmm. but you can do that without telling them. Um, uh, you know, I, I'll give you an example. I've probably done this a few times. Um, uh, you know, give you an example within CrossFit where maybe someone is learning to do cleans and they get stuck at a particular weight. So say, for example, it's a 60 kilo clean. Um, at 57 and a half kilos, they're absolutely fine. Mm. 
Mm. At 60 kilos, suddenly everything goes out the window. Yeah. It's a two and a half kilo difference in terms of uh, percentage wise. It's, uh, it's not, it's not a big jump, but it goes out the window. They look like a completely different athlete. Mm. And sometimes it's just because they're overthinking it and it's because it's a number. Yeah. So, um, uh, I'm probably letting my tricks uh, sort of anyone who's going to watch this and I train will probably catch on to my tricks, but, um, uh, something I would do is I get them to do a clean at 57 and a half kilos or maybe 55. Um, uh, and I'd send them out on a run. Mm. So 400 meter run, I'd tell them go out, nice, easy run, take your time. When they come back in, have a quick chat, tell them, you know, 57 and a half kilos on the bar. Um, let's get another rep and go for a run. Mm. And they walk up to the bar, they do the rep and it looks absolutely fine. And before they go out on the run, stop them, pull them over and pull the plates and show them that just sort of on the inside of it, you've snuck a one kilo plate yeah, or a two and a half kilo plate. And suddenly it's no longer 57 and a half kilos on a bar. It's 61. Yeah. And I think that changes everything because then suddenly you've done it and you haven't even realized you've done it. I know you've done this with me before with the jumping up and things yeah. and you like add a little plate every time and I wouldn't kind of not notice. Sometimes I'd notice, but I would just kind of try and ignore it. And then in the end, you've jumped higher than the box and then you're like, well, I can jump higher than the box. So clearly I can do this. And then that changes something in your mind that you know, well, I, I'm actually able to do it. Yeah, I think it's, there, there's, uh, as, as we, as we get, I think as we get older, there becomes a sense of worry about failure, mm -hmm. this fear of failure that we're going to be judged or we're going to look like an idiot or, you know, comparing the person, the person next to you versus how you're doing, you know, what shape they're in, whatever it might be. There's, there's always this comparison and we're always worried about, uh, about, or not always worried, but some of us will worry about failure too much rather than, uh, just giving it a go. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes it's really hard as a, as a coach to, to remember what it might be like to be scared mm. uh, or uncertain. You know, I do, I do something, I go, um, when I go home back to Zimbabwe, I do this every time I go back. Um, it's probably, probably gives my mom gray hairs, but I go and do what, what's called a gorge swing. Oh, so, yeah. So a little bit like a bungee jump. Yeah. Um, but it's a hundred and, I think the one I do is 111, uh, 111 meters, maybe free fall. Yeah. And then you swing across the gorge. So this is by uh, Victoria Falls, one of the seven wonders of the world. So it's beautiful. But uh, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I am shit scared of heights. Oh, me too. Oh God, it's the worst. Fucking petrified of heights. <laughs> So you can imagine what it's like for me standing on the I edge. I can imagine just the thought of it. I'm like sweaty now just thinking about my, it. My feet grip into, grip into like the, the edge. Um, and I, I do it every year. Like I get there when I go to do it and I'm like, you idiot. Why? But yeah. we talk about being outside comfort zones, about being scared is – because it, it's, it's good sometimes to be reminded that it's okay to be scared. Yeah. And it's also then very easy for me to, or I find it easier than when I talk to someone about why they might be scared about something, because guess what? I remember what it feels like. Mm. Um, and then once, guess what? Once I've done it, I come back up and I want to do it again. Yeah. But I think it comes back to, I don't know if you feel this, but 
I know with myself, it comes back to this constant wanting to challenge myself. So I like to challenge myself physically, but also mentally. And I think, for example, I could just say, well, I don't like jumping on things and then stop doing it. But I constantly like, for example, come back to you and be like, make me jump on something, make me jump. And you're like, you know, why do you want to continue punishing yourself? And I'm the same with heights. Like I hate it, but I still do like zip lining and stuff like this and yeah. like crying the whole way through it. But I, I don't know. There's obviously something within you that kind of like craves this kind of um, challenge. Yeah, I think... Uh, I mean, there's, there's probably so much of it to do with, um, you know, the rush of hormones you get when you do something like that. Um, it's so the, the adrenaline that you, you get when you do it. Um, it's a very hard thing to, it's a very hard feeling to, to replace. Um, because you, you know, you, you can get a huge high off like your exercise and stuff like that, but it's, it's a different, it's a different sort of feeling. Mm. Um, and I suppose at the end, you know, like you said, in terms of the challenge, when you are coming back up and your heart rate's dropped back down and, um, uh, I mean, it probably takes a while for me because when you've, when you've jumped off, you've still got to walk up the cliff face. Mm. So there's probably a good minute where you're still thinking about how high you are up off, off the ground now. Um, but then there's this realization that you know what you did it you've overcome your fears yeah um and there's that there's that sense of accomplishment mm. um and and so yeah it, i suppose it does come back to that point about challenging yourself and then the uh the feeling of having achieved something yeah um so so yeah it it's uh and, and, and something like that comes harder than, than doing any of the, the other things that I've done. So mm. I, I, you know, again, that's, that's me stepping out even more outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. And uh, talking of, of challenging, yourself, <laughs> uh, you've done some quite uh, incredible challenges. So tell me a little bit more about those uh, challenges that you've done and, and what you did. Um, so I, I probably thought about things like this a lot and, um, and always put it off or just don't do it or, you know, maybe common sense prevails. Um, but I, I suppose my first one would have been 2015. Um, I remember watching, so again, coming back to, to rugby, I'm a, uh, you know, favorite sport, um, and I obviously have heroes growing up from when I was a kid. And one of them was a guy called Jus van Avestes, and he played rugby for South Africa. Um, I was lucky during a year at university, he was the head coach there as well. Um, but he got uh, diagnosed with MND. So um, basically, that's, there isn't a cure for it. Mm. Um, and I couldn't imagine anything worse happening to me than uh, sort of the use of my body deteriorating and knowing there's nothing I can do to stop it. Mm-hmm. Obviously I'm, I'm passionate about exercise. So, you know, having that taken away from me would, would just destroy my soul. And I remember watching this and I was like, okay, well I need to do something. Um, and I am denied about it. And I was like, well, you know, I need to tell someone because otherwise 
I, I, it's just going to be an idea in my head. So I use social media. I put it on there. This is what I'm doing in a year's time. Yeah. Um, I didn't talk to anyone else about, about it or look into the research before doing it. Um, so I, I, didn't tell, I didn't tell my partner at the time. I just said, I'm doing this. And then told her afterwards, I decided this is what I'm doing. So the first challenge was rowing 24 hours. Um, and in order for something to, to count as a con, uh, constant row or continuous row, you're only allowed to break for 10 minutes every hour. Mm-hmm. Now that seems like quite a long time, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's not. But and I suppose this is where the within these challenges, sometimes your ego gets the better of you. And I see it happen all the time in the gym. The world record at the time, I think, was 316 kilometers in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And I took a look at that. I took a look at the splits that I would need to do. And in my head, I was like, yeah, I got this. I'm going, not only am I going to row for 24 hours, my first big row, I'm going to row for the, the, the world record. Right. Uh, and I did all the training for it. I was rowing 150, 170 kilometers a week. Um, I was eating in excess of 7,000 calories a day. Um, and I felt absolutely fine. I think the longest row I did building up to it was a marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then came to the challenge, which I did across with Blackfriars, which was my gym at the time. And I got six hours into it and I just had, a, I had a brick wall. Uh, I had all the sports drinks next to me. I had all the supplementation I had and I'd be going at the pace that I thought I needed to hold and just got six hours in and I was done. I, I had hit, you know, I hit a brick wall that I should have only hit 20 hours into it. Um, not a case of like my legs were sore or anything like that. I just was exhausted. Um, so it then became no longer just a challenge of uh, like the, the record was out the window. It was now just hanging on for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, all the food went out. We ordered basically it was pizza coming in every hour for me. Uh, Domino's were a massive sponsor during that time. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty painful experience. Um, I was very lucky that I had some good people around me at the time. Uh, you know, I had people running off to get me leggings because I was getting bruising behind my legs. Uh, people trying to find me pillows because my, my backside was raw or Vaseline. Um, and, like the biggest thing about it, like about the challenge was how many people got involved and did things they've never done before either. Mm-hmm. You know, people who have never done rode more than 10 minutes. I had people jumping on rowers for like four hour slots. Um, so we had, I think it was four or five rowers lined up and sort of every four, every four hours there were people coming in to, to join me. Um, and I think roughly off the top of my head, I probably covered about, I think it was about 242 kilometers. Mm. Um, slept for about 36 hours after that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and felt like a real sense of uh, sort of achievement in terms of raising money, getting people involved. Yeah. 
um, and swore I would never do it again, uh, which I still haven't done it another 24 hour row. <laughs> um, but, and for a long time, I felt fairly, fairly comfortable with stuff like that. And then it would have been probably December, December, 20, 2018. Um, I had this, this feeling come back again. And so obviously I swore I'd never do a 24 hour row again. So what was next? 36 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not um, obviously at all. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so preparation for that was slightly different. Um, obviously I had less time, but I focused a lot more on mental toughness. Right. Um, you know, so I, I didn't, I probably only rode like 50 kilometers a week. Okay. But I, I would find the most horrendous workouts possible. I would like Google to find workouts that make people sick mm-hmm. and go and do them. And probably not just do them once, I'd do them like three times back to back. Because, because of the mental challenge of it? Or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to, because I didn't, I didn't feel from my previous experience, there was no amount of time spent on the rower that was going to without me overtraining mentally prepare me for what I was going to do. Right. And when, uh, when you did the first one, you said that you didn't tell anyone about it. Uh, before this, and, posted it. Was that like yeah. a conscious decision because you thought they would talk you out of it or, or why, why, why was that? Yeah. <laughs> they would actually say, oh, this is insane. And then you, it, yeah, it is. Yeah. And with the 36 hour one, um, I did talk about it before I posted it. Um, but I was pretty adamant I was going to do it again. Um, so I probably changed that aspect there. And, and I suppose because I'd done a 25 row, there was a bit more confidence that something like this would be fine. Yeah. Um, and I was a little bit more uh, sort of prepped in terms of what to expect with it. So like I had loads of different nutrition options. I started off at slower paces. Um, again, I had a really good support crew with me. Uh, loads of people jumping in and rowing. I even had, you know, one of the members was rowing next to me, rowed a marathon with only one leg mm-hmm. uh, because he, he broke his ankle like four weeks before, but still didn't want to let me down. So he still came in and rowed. Right. Um, so when you, we, when you have people doing stuff like that next to you and just, you know, while your thing's a big challenge for them, it's a big challenge as well. It's, you know, it's them stepping outside of their comfort zones. I suppose you, it would also be a little bit hard to go in for 10 minutes and be like, oh, I'm a bit tired when you're sitting. There. <laughs> <laughs> it would feel, you know, a little. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think also the big thing at the start, there was no, uh, there was no sense of um, like I had to set any particular distance. Hmm. So I'd probably been a little bit smarter with the goals I was going to set. Um, and funny enough, by the time I hit the 24-hour mark in the 36-hour row, I was, I'd covered more distance than my previous 24-hour row. Mm-hmm. I think it was maybe 15 kilometers ahead. Okay. Um, so it, it, was just, it was just, there was just better planning. Uh, again, like I said, a lot of work behind the mental, the mental preparation for it. Mm. Um, and, and again, just really, really awesome people around me supporting things like my nutrition. Like I had, 
some of the the um, sort of physios down at, at Shapesmiths, which is where I did this, were on sort of shifts where, like, if I needed to, I could get a quick rub down. Like, you know, I'd, you could actually physically see the knots in, in my hip flexors. Mm. Um, so, the, you know, it, it was made a lot easier by having some really, really good people around me. Yeah. Um, and learn from the first experience that you needed that, or yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not always someone who asks for help. Um, and I've slowly learned that over the time that you kind of do need to do that. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was, it was definitely something I knew I needed uh, or was going to need through, through this challenge. Um, uh, so I think off the top, again, off the top of my head, around about 370 kilometers and 36 hour row. Um, I distinctly remember the end of that. Uh, one of my good mates, George, put on uh, Thunderstruck, played by ACDC. <laughs> and I, I think maybe my last 300 meters was a sprint. Um, and it, it was an incredible feeling, like uh, lots of people cheering, lots of noise, um, and a big sense of achievement having done it. Mm. Um, you know, I was into straight into an ice bath afterwards with a bottle of bubbles, um, went home, slept immediately for a good couple of hours, and that was on the Sunday. By Monday, I was back at work. Mm. Um, by Wednesday, I was training again. Um, and I think that's when there was a light bulb moment that something wasn't right. Um, I know we're talking about sort of all this competitive stuff and challenging, but mm. I think when I was looking for another challenge directly after that, that's, you know, when you've done something like that, you shouldn't want to do anything for a good while. Um, and so I suppose before I jump into the third challenge, the first two, the problem with those was I definitely think in hindsight, I was probably doing them for the wrong reason in terms of, yes, there's a challenge. Yes. There's, uh, to be, to be better, to, you know, get outside of your comfort zone. But I think they're, they're, we talk about going through stages where you feel like you're not doing enough and it can be a negative consequence. Mm. Those, those were negative consequences. That was me trying to, um, you know, people, people talk about going to a dark place in training or looking to feel pain. And I, I did that. That's what those two were for. Yeah. Because I didn't feel like I was achieving enough in life. I didn't feel like I was good enough. I felt like I had a point to prove. So, the point to prove was to do something stupid and break myself. Right. Um, and, and to do these absurd challenges. And, and then the challenge itself is not the problem. The yeah. reason for doing the challenge was the issue. Right. So um, the way of, could you say it's like a way of punishing yourself? Is that what you? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, I, I definitely think uh, since then, you know, I, I've learned to maybe talk about things a, a bit more. Um, I think that's probably one thing that highly driven people or competitive people don't really do. You know, I grew up where you're not allowed to show weakness. Um, you know, as a rugby player, you get hit, you get back up, you get hit again, you get back up. You don't, you don't lie on the floor. Um, yeah. And I think there was, there was so much of that taking over that because there was never any, um, you know, any, any focus on 
um, mental health for me at that time, I probably missed, missed those signs that there was something brewing inside of me. Mm. Um, this innate drive to do, to do more, even though that more could be harmful. Um, it's difficult when people are they're kind of encouraging it and, and celebrating what you're doing then it's kind of hard to see that maybe this is not actually what is healthy for me yeah it, it, again it's that I think it comes back to that piece on you know looking for for recognition or for um, affection from from people around you you know maybe that you know showing that you you are you are good enough that you know you can still do the things that maybe you you used to be able to do 10 years ago or 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 especially you know being a a pillar of strength within the community what whatever it might be is that you're using that to to fill a void yeah and I, i think when we start doing challenges for that particular reason it, all, all that's doing is creating a vicious cycle where you have you have to do it over and over again to get to get that high, mm. um, and eventually at some point it's going to catch up on you. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think the second challenge, the thirty-six hour one, was a turning point for me. Right. In terms of, um, you know, training and, and physical activity is all about should be all about enjoyment about being healthy about being happy um and i think there was a point where i was i was crossing the line with that mm. um and and if it was something i was doing you know you do it once every five years then it's not a problem but you know i was already thinking about getting on an assault bike for 24 hours six mm. months later mm. Uh, and you know when I sort of sat down and started talking to people about why it was exactly that what what was the point yeah um, so I think there's extreme challenges have like that have a place yeah. um, but it's when it's done for for the right reasons I think like you spoke about there you know um, punishing feeling pain would definitely um, definitely probably reasons for those first two Mm. Um, and that, and that, that, I think that's a, a pretty, um, I, I wouldn't say it's a hard thing to admit, but it's definitely something that, um, I think unless that's stuff that you've looked for, people don't get, mm. people don't necessarily un- understand it. Um, and, and it's also very hard for people to recognize. Yeah. Um, especially if you, you know, you don't talk about stuff like that. Um, you know, obviously when it comes to, uh, you know, again, you recognize, we come back to the point about coaching athletes and or coaching clients is it's very hard unless you create some rapport with your client where they feel they can talk to you about how they're feeling maybe on that particular day mm. and then you being responsive to it. Right. You know, the, the worst thing as, as a coach is, you know, if, if your clients told you that they're, you know, you imagine someone walks in and, client tells their coach that they've had a really hard week they're absolutely exhausted um they don't have much to give and they're just in there to move mm. and the the coach gives them some of the hardest workouts possible absolutely drills into the floor mm. keeps pushing them although this person's giving them everything they could in actual fact probably what they need what they might need is a session where literally they're just moving 
they're in exercising, um, they're in sort of uh, sort of working through, going through the motions, going through the phases, having a conversation with someone, laughing, uh, still sweating and, and getting a workout in because that's what they're there to do. Mm. But it's recognizing that maybe what that person doesn't need there and then is to be broken down. Yeah. They need to be built up. And that, and that building up can be in, in various ways or forms, but it's recognizing that. But at the same point, having that relationship with a client that you can talk to them about it or they can talk to you mm-hmm. and, feel, and feel like that's, uh, you know, they, they have that, relation, that type of relationship where they can sort of convey how, they, how they're feeling. Yeah, I think that's so important that first of all, people feel comfortable to share, but then also that when they then actually share that it's met with some kind of like openness and acceptance and actually listening. So I think everyone, when they share something, what you really want in return is to feel like you're being heard and seen yeah. um, and, and obviously to some extent accepted as well. So, so that's, that's an interesting uh, yeah. thing. Also what's interesting with this thing with the, with kind of, punishing yourself through workouts is that mm. people always see it as um as a positive to train because most people mm. struggle to train so the more you train it's good it's healthy you know it's you're doing something great for yourself um but obviously when it gets to that point where it becomes a bit of a, of a um, replacement for something else it's hard for people to recognize that and i think if you're like going out drinking every night partying it's easier for people to see that okay this is probably not healthy Whereas like if you go to the gym every day, people might not see it in the same way. Yeah. And, and again, that, you know, that comes back to, uh, I think one of the first points I touched on at the beginning as, as to the whys. Mm. You know, if someone's coming into the gym to feel pain every single day yeah. or to look, to look for that, you know, there's probably an underlying uh, issue that, you know, they need help with. Yeah. Because, because all that's happening is it, it, they're getting a quick fix but it doesn't solve the issue. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't solve whatever, whatever there might be for that. So, you know, especially if we come back to the point about if people want to be challenged, if they want to be pushing themselves, that's great, but you can't do that every single day. Mm. So for example, if you are busy training to improve your 2000 meter time on a, on a row, you're not going to come in every single day and beat yourself up to try to get a better time. Hmm. You'll have, you know, maybe every fourth session, there's going to be some high intensity type stuff. And the rest is maybe just building some volume or working on skills. Because if you keep breaking your body, at some point, there's going to be a point where it doesn't repair. Yeah. That's, you know, you, you have to have, for example, recovery days or slow days or those down days to allow yourself to reset. And, you know, I talk about it like it's easy. Uh, yesterday was my rest day. If you, if anyone asks me what's the hardest training day you have in the week, it's my rest day. Right. I, I really, really struggle to have a day off training, not because the previous reasons, because I, you know, I go looking for uh, sort of um, I need that that really that sort of feeling of of working out hard or. Um, pain or punishment, whatever that might be. It's literally just because I, I really enjoy it. Mm. Um, and, and that's why for me, a rest day is really hard. But again, I also understand the reason for having a rest day. Right. Um, that then that allows you to come back in and, and, and maybe work a little bit harder the next time. Mm. 
Um, but I, I think as a, you know, when, as a, as a coach, especially when you work with people on a one-to-one basis, um, you create a relationship with your client that, you know, is, is, is borderline in lines with like working with a therapist in terms of what people talk to you about and, and how open people are or how people make themselves vulnerable to you as a, as a coach. Mm. And, and I, I've always, not always said, but certainly since I've been introduced to, uh, to sort of CrossFit and, and how CrossFit go about sort of their coach, the coaching method, methodology that they use is, for me, the best coach is someone who, as you mentioned, listens, who can show empathy, who um, can basically be a chameleon so they can change the color based on their surroundings. And what I mean by that is they can adapt to every individual who's in the room with them right. to get the best out of that person. Okay. You know, if you, if you have 12 different people in the room, one coaching method isn't going to work for every single one of them. Right. So you have to be, you have to be able to react to what you're saying or how you're saying it, um, or even your body language to how you might be talking to someone, mm. um, to make sure that you're doing your job as uh, the coach, the trainer, to ensure that you're getting the best out of that person. And at the same point, they're in there doing what they want to be doing or, or, or achieving their why, so to speak. Yeah, I suppose there's two approaches to that. Like you can either be kind of a chameleon where you change constantly for each client. That sounds like um, like that would be quite a tough job yeah, mentally. Uh, but I suppose you could also just say, well, this is my way of doing it. And then I'll attract the type of clients that, that like that type of training. Yeah, I think so. The, the second style is probably more related to when you are working on a one-to-one basis. Mm. I think that that was probably definitely my approach when I started at uh, working within like a, a gym, like fitness first, mm. it was very much, this is my style of, um, of coaching. This is how I want to train people. If you don't want to train this way, well, yeah, um, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but I think when you work with groups, you have to be able to change. Mm. But I also, I also think as personally, as a coach, I think it's really cool having different clients with different training needs or different whys or, um, because it also keeps me on my toes. It means that I'm constantly looking at um, uh, sort of looking to further my, uh, my expertise. Um, uh, you know, like if you start working with, a, with an older population in terms of the training style that you might be working with them, um, whatever it might be. But I also think it then, as, 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 a, as, as a coach, you are broadening your um, your your skill in terms of communicating and working with people because if you're very used to just working with one type of person, pretty much that's all the t- that's the only person you can communicate with. Anyone outside of that is alien to you. You don't know how to you don't know how to connect with that that person. Mm. Um, and and I think from a business aspect, you then miss out as a you, you're missing out as a as a as a coach or a trainer on everyone else who you could be working with just because you're so set in your way of, of doing things. 
Mm. Um, and, and, and then at some point within yourself, there's no chance to, to grow or develop because you're just doing the same thing day in, day out. Yeah. Yeah. But so you said as well that, that being a coach is, is to some extent being like a therapist or these people, people like share quite a lot of things with you. And of course that can be a bit of a challenge because of course you are, you are not a therapist and you don't have that type of training to, to deal with some things, mm -hmm. I imagine. So how do you kind of um, manage that responsibility? Because I know for myself sometimes, even though I have that training, if I'm, for example, with a friend, I would have a very different approach than I would have in a session with someone because mm -hmm. it's, a different, it's a different environment and my role is different. Do you, do you feel that as well when you're training people? Or? Um. I suppose it's easiest way out. I would try look at something like that. If, if you you obviously want to listen to you know, regardless whether or not it's as a coach or even just as you said as a friend, is you just want to listen to people. Mm. Um, easiest way to think about it is as a first aider. I know this is like uh, as a, as a first aider. If you respond to someone, you have a, a level of care that you're allowed to give, mm. regardless of whether or not you have watched X number of Grey's Anatomy films where how they do whatever it is yeah. you are only you have a, a, a limited amount of support you're allowed to give and that's all you give mm. it doesn't matter what else that person needs that's all you give because that's all you're qualified to do yeah so I, I think when when I try to look at it as something like that it's listening to someone um, you know, if they've asked for your opinion, then you tell them what you feel or how you might do about things. Mm. But I think if it was something that becomes, you know, uh, if, it, if, it's, if it's a regular thing, you know, there, there's two, two things, that, two things that, or two ways you need to look at it is that, um, you know, it's then trying to point them in the right direction where probably they can talk to someone who, um, who can can help them or, or is, is probably a safer space for them to be talking about stuff. But the other point for you is, is as a coach, you are not trained to take on some of that information yeah. or some of that, or, or, or some of that feeling, maybe not, it, they don't give you all the information, but it's sometimes it's the feeling, mm. um, you know, and, and that, that's, that's particularly hard for you know, someone like myself. I like to help people. I like to be there. I like to, um, uh, you know, especially if they're within my community, I care about the people within my community. Mm. And sometimes you just have to be careful that you, you know, you, you only give out, you, you only provide the support that you are qualified to do, I suppose is the easiest, the easiest way of putting it. Mm. Um, so that's a really good point. But I think also, I suppose most of the time what people really need and, and I think even that's sometimes the, the, the case with people come in therapy that as a starting point, just having someone to, to listen to them is, is a, you've done half of the job. So of course you're not qualified to kind of go further than that, but, but just have someone who listens is, is a good start as well. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's just this, you know, if you work in the great thing about that I love about CrossFit is the communities in which it creates, you know, some like you create lasting friendships in there. Um, the gyms I've been involved with, District, uh, Shapesmiths, uh, Blackfriars, it's a pretty diverse community, but everyone is there for each other. Mm. And so sometimes it's not a case of 
you know, uh, sitting there, you know, someone just talking to you. Sometimes it's a case of just giving someone a hug. Yeah. And grabbing a cup of coffee. Yeah. And, and that, that there and then fixes their day. It doesn't have to be, it's, it's so much of the case. And it's the same as, a, you know, when you're coaching someone is sometimes there's just not the right thing to say. Yeah. There, there's no right thing to say. There's nothing you can do that's going to fix that situation. Mm-hmm. You just need to let that person know that that client, that friend, whatever it is, what, whoever that person might be, let them know that you're there for them if they need, if they need it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's a, that's a big thing that I feel changes within trainer. I, I say trainers versus coaches. Um, and I don't mean disrespect to anyone who calls himself a trainer, mm. you know, just tells people what to do, mm. um, you know, reads off the manual and, and gets people moving. I think a coach, a coach really helps people become a better person, be it through being phys- more physically active, living a happier life, whatever it might be. I think they, they, I, I prefer the use of the word coach because I feel someone who calls himself a coach is probably getting more out of their clients in terms of further developing them, whichever direction that might be in terms of their training or their life. Hmm. But also as I think when you call yourself a coach and you make that, I don't know if you make that clear to your clients, but if you do, I think you're already opening up that channel of communication because otherwise you might feel like maybe this is not the place to say it. And I think with, with a trainer, it's can sometimes maybe be over the coach is sometimes it can be easier to share than if you're like, even though you have friends or you have a, a partner or a husband or a wife, whatever you have, the stakes are somewhat higher with someone that you're close to because they, they could judge you, they could do whatever, but with the trainer, okay, if they think you're being ridiculous, then okay, we change the trainer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I suppose when, when you look at the two, uh, you know, it, it, it comes down to just maybe one's perception of, you know, what does a trainer stand for them and what does a coach stand for them? Mm. Um, I think one of the, the sort of the, the big differences is the coach for me, a coach doesn't just look at the physical aspect of training. There's the mental side of it as well. Mm. Um, there's, you know, I, I, uh, I definitely feel like growing up playing rugby. Um, you know, I, I was, I was very lucky that, uh, I went to a good school. I, you know, had all the coaching that I needed and certainly my best years of playing rugby was when I had it up here. And when I say I had it up here, there was the confidence, there was the mindset. Um, and then probably when I left that, that safe space at school and went to university and, you know, maybe one of the reasons why it didn't, um, I didn't necessarily sort of kick off a, a massive career with that or even make a career of it is because you lose that 2%. Mm. And that, that's, that's mental strength. Um, that's, that's the confidence. And I think, that's probably where a coach does something versus a trainer is that a coach builds you up not only physically, but also mentally mm. so that, so that you are prepared for those days where maybe you don't want to train, but you know, you need to, or where you do come across those challenges that yes, it is an obstacle, but you know, you're able to get through it. You just need to understand, get through it, get over it, whatever it might be. You just need to understand how, mm. um, and you've only done that because you, you've, you've worked on the mental side of your training. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, we, I think during the introduction, you spoke on, on mental toughness. Yeah. Um, again, and this is probably a tough part because I, I'm a huge fan of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a, as a, as a, you know, a coach, when I'm in classes, I'm notorious for this. I don't allow people to lie on the floor when they yeah. finish the workout, regardless of what they've done. I still don't. Every time I'm like, after everyone lies down and then I think, no, no, don't do yeah. it. <laughs> and, and I mean, I, a little bit of a hypocrite because sometimes when, when I finish the session, I will collapse on the floor. But the reason I don't allow people to lie down in the class is because I think there's a very small percentage of the population Right. who can go to that place where they're working so hard and they're so exhausted after a session that they actually can't stand up. Right. And, and, and that's, that's sort of the, where the talk about going to the dark place, going to the pain cave, that, mm. that's it. Like if you, if you really want to see something like that, go and watch uh, rowers when they do a 2K test. Yeah, yeah. They they're still strapped into the machine and they just fall off Yeah. because they, for, for sub six minutes have given everything they've got. Yeah. And, and they have the mental capacity to sit in that place where everything hurts and they just have to keep finding another stroke, another hundred meters, whatever it is. And I think that's, that's, you know, that, that's starting where you look at real mental toughness. And it's not to say that, um, you know, it, it doesn't happen at, at sort of uh, outside of elite sports. I've seen it in CrossFit where, you know, someone is absolutely physically exhausted and they still find a way to do another rep. Um, you know, be it through the support of the people around them or just how, how a coach says something to them is... Yeah. Um, you know, just find one more rep, find one more rep. I'm not sure if, have you watched the film uh, Hacksaw Ridge? Um, I don't think so, no. Okay, definitely something for you to watch. So Hacksaw Ridge is based on a, okay. it's, it's based on a true story. Yeah. Um, and basically this, uh, um, this guy goes to war and I think it's uh, Desmond, Desmond Dobbs is his name. Um, and he joins the, the military as a, a medic, but refuses to, um, to carry a rifle. Right. He, he's, he's going to war not to kill people. He's going to war to save people. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, they, they, end up, they end up going to, to war and uh, they get to Hacksaw Ridge, which is where this fight takes place. And the Americans get driven off by the, the Japanese but he stays up there and throughout the night, he's lowering injured soldiers down the cliff face to, to sort of the, the two soldiers who are down at the bottom. Mm. And one thing that you see that he does is, and where the coaching aspect comes into it, so I'm not going off, off the tracks here, is he goes and gets a soldier, lowers him down, and he says, uh, he's, he's a very religious man, and he says to, says to God, please help me find one more. Mm-hmm. just one more, just one more, just one more. And as a coach, that's something I would do with someone. Say, for example, if they're doing burpees, yeah, just find one more, just find one more versus, or, or with a barbell, for example, if you're doing uh, a barbell movement is just try find more, one more rep. 
versus what someone might use, which is don't put the barbell down. Yeah. And the difference between the two of those is one of them is you are challenging yourself to find one more, mm. which is a positive, a positive thing you're looking for yeah. versus the other aspect where you're saying, right, the challenge is don't put the barbell down, but you're saying don't put the barbell down and don't put the barbell down is, can be negative. And also then this comes back to the point about failure, viewing failure versus success is when that person puts a barbell down, do they feel like they've failed because their coach has said to them, don't mm. put the barbell down. So you put the barbell down. Mm. So does that mean you failed at what you're doing? Right. Um, and, and, and no, it, it, in, in short, it doesn't. Yeah. But I, I think it's then looking at the coaching aspect is how you're getting more out of that person versus don't put the barbell down versus just find one more. Yeah. Keep pushing them to look for an extra rep, an extra rep, an extra rep. Don't give up. You're not saying don't give up. You're just saying find one more. Yeah. Um, also, that's like language. Is, I'm, I'm big with the kind of language and the language we use. And every time you say something like don't, don't put the barbell down, what your mind is hearing, put the barbell down, put the barbell down. Yeah. Hear the don't, or don't give up. You're thinking give up, you know. So it's always wording it differently. I think it's interesting. Uh, also with this mental toughness. So uh, I see... Sometimes mental toughness, like you just said, you know, like pushing yourself and pushing and pushing and pushing until constantly doing more. But I think also for me, I like to define it a little bit different that for me also mental toughness can also be that you actually don't do another one if that's not what good for you, what's good for you. And I think uh, for me, this idea of being like tough and being some kind of like um, action man type of character with no feelings, for me, that's maybe not how I would define tough. But um, but I think there's something that we also talked about a little bit before um, before this uh, this um, interview was like kind of failure and how you, in the second, not the second, the third challenge that you did. So yeah. you said that in this in the second one, you realized that maybe this is some kind of... Um, it's a dark hole. It's a Easiest dark word. hole and you, you realize that maybe it was more a case of feeling like you're not good enough and you're masking that maybe we're doing these challenges or pushing yourself, punishing yourself. And then you, you decided to do this third challenge. So, and yeah, so, 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 during, so, so tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so during, during lockdown, concept two, uh, I didn't even realize I did something like this. In, in May every year, they do... The, um, what they call a century challenge. And so there's four distances. There's a half marathon, a marathon, um, 50 kilometers and a hundred kilometer row. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd done no training for this. I mean, granted, like I, like I said, I did about 375 kilometers in 36 hours. I thought a hundred kilometers is nothing. Happy days. This is easy. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I got, I, I'm, I also do sort of online rowing coaching. And so I got my rowing community to all jump in. Most of them did half marathons, which for them is the longest distance they've ever rowed. Mm. Um, I had one client who was slightly insane and did a marathon. So I'm, I'm super proud of him for doing that. Regardless of what times people did it, it's just the fact that they did it. Yeah. And building up to this challenge, I was like, my coaching hat on, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm just going to do this in about 10 hours. I've done no training for it. I'm just, I'm just, the task is just to complete it. Yeah. And when you um, say you do no training, you train every day, but you don't, haven't trained for, but for this I, particular. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't been doing, I hadn't been doing much rowing. Yeah. Um, I had, 
I did have, like I was having problems with my left leg in terms of, um, and this isn't in the blog, like niggles through my, my calf and my hamstring. Um, so I, I had avoided the rower as much as possible. Mm. And so we picked the first bank holiday of May to do it. Um, that Friday was the particular hot day. It was 27, 27 odd degrees, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I, I didn't think I was going to be going particularly fast, so I wasn't worried about anything. I did it at hoppers 10 in the morning, just so I didn't wake neighbors up doing something stupid when it was nice and cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the row was outside on the balcony. And so I, you know, set myself off. I had all my drinks, all my food and two, literally two seconds before I picked those handles up, I changed the goalpost. Right. Suddenly it wasn't about doing it in 10 hours. It was sub eight. Right. And for the first minute or so, I played around with the idea that I was going to do it in less than eight, eight hours. And then I was going to do it in 10 hours. Now I was going to do an eight. Now I was going to do so I had this battle going on mm. and at the end of the minute, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do it in sub eight hours. Felt mm. really good. Um, was moving constantly through this. I, I got off the road a couple of times to go to the toilet or maybe to have something to drink, but was chipping away. Um, and I got to the 85 kilometer mark, uh, ran off to go to the toilet. Um, and noticed uh, my urine was a very dark orange brown color mm. um, and having done sort of these long rows before i understood like we i did urine checks with my my last one and i understood the color of the urine and what that meant um, which is severe dehydration mm. and so i got back onto the row and it wasn't feeling particularly great now and so then it became rather than looking at my targets were 10 kilometer marks all the time. It now became one kilometers. So one K and I was chipping away, chipping away and I got to 92 kilometers done. So eight, eight kilometers to go. Mm. Um, ran to go to the toilet again, again, same thing, problem with my urine came back, uh, and ended up having to throw or try throw up over the balcony into the gutter. Uh, nothing came out. Um, got back on the row and I tried to row and I just, I couldn't, mm. I just, I collapsed off the rower. Um, so I'd obviously been rowing through extreme heat um, all day, mostly in the sun. And so I, when I got cold and started shivering, like I knew something wasn't right. Mm. And probably for a good, it may have felt like 60 seconds to me, but it was a lot longer than that lying on the floor battling with, okay, I've got to get back up on the row. I can, I can do this. It's no longer about getting it done in under eight hours. I can do this. Mm. And even if I have to do it at 200 meter intervals, I will do this. Right. And for, for a while, I, I played around with that aspect of getting back on the rower. And you know, I had, um, I had um, some support crew with me. And I suppose it was when, you know, someone, someone said, uh, you know, what's the worst that can, what's the worst can happen if you don't complete it. Mm. And on the other side, if you get back up on the rower, 
and something goes wrong, you know, this is during lockdown, it's at the height of the coronavirus. Yeah. NHS is already under strain just for you to prove that you can row another eight kilometers. Yeah. And, and so I got up and I switched off the rower. And the whole point with switching off the rower was that that signifies there's no more playing around in my mind. I can get back on and I can do this. Mm. Um, turn it off and that's, that's done. And for me, like talking about like having done 24 and 36 hour rows, that's a pretty big step to say, essentially like it is, it's giving up. Mm. Um, and I'll come back to that point. It, it is, it is literally giving up because mm. you're saying, okay, I, I can't do this. Yeah. And, and that for me is very hard. Um, and it was probably a good thing because like I couldn't even hold myself up in the shower afterwards. Um, it took me a good hour and a bit before I could eat again. Um, and slept through the night. I was in a pretty bad way the next day in terms of still dehydrated. Um, and then on the Sunday, I, I decided I, I needed to talk about getting, um, I talk about the challenge because it was, it wasn't something I hadn't posted much on social media about it. I hadn't done it for any other reason than just for me. Right. And this, this was the big difference between the other two challenges is I hadn't done it for any recognition or this was just for me. It was just because I wanted to train and I, I wanted to challenge myself. Mm. Um, there wasn't any looking. I mean, if I was looking for pain, I would have got back on that row. Yeah. Um, and, and I suppose when I was looking at it, I kind of looked at, well, you know, how do I, what, what do I write about? And it came to me that it was a pretty big thing for me to do to step back and say, you know, it's okay, I'm, I'm going to stop. And that's, I suppose, where the title came in, Finding Success and Failure. Yeah. Because ultimately, yes, I wanted to complete a 100-kilometer row, but I failed with that. There's no, there's, you can't sugarcoat that. I, I hadn't done that. But I had grown so much more as a person and as a coach and by a harder challenge for me, which was saying it's okay having not done that and it's okay to stop. Yeah. Um, and, and that for me is a success in that. And I think when, when it comes to looking at success and failure, depending on what perspective you have, you can find either one in whatever challenge you do. Yeah. And it's all, it's all about perspective. So it comes back to the same thing when you're coaching people is, you know, you can look at a coaching session and you can say that's a great coaching session depending on, on how you look at it mm. in terms of, of what the goalposts might be. Yeah. Um, you know, I could have still done, uh, done the row in eight hours, but if I, you know, uh, only wanted to get off the row twice and I got off it five times, well, does that mean I've failed at my challenge? Mm. If that makes sense. So it's, I think so much of it, so much of that challenge really highlighted about just how we look at things. Mm. And, and also at the same point, failing at someone, failing at something. And this is something I still struggle to get to grips with. Failing at something doesn't define who you are. Okay. It's not, it's not the end it's not the end uh, sort of 
the end of everything. It's not um, definitive. Um, and, and, you know, I think when you do stuff, the only real failure at it is when you don't learn from it. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, it wasn't like I wrote that on Sunday and I was fine with it. Um, you know, midway through the week, I, and like I, I, and I spoke to, um, I, I talked to my, uh, my therapist regularly about it. I spoke to Millie on Monday about it and I was happy as Larry. Like I was in a really good place. Come Thursday, mm. I was in that downward spiral again. Yeah. Um, because I'd had a bad day and I was not comfortable with failure again. Mm. You know, in that, in that moment, Sunday, Monday, I was okay with it. Thursday, I wasn't. And so it, it isn't, it isn't necessarily, it isn't always going to be smooth sailing. There are going to be these ups and downs. And I, I think it's just appreciating that it's, you're just in the moment. Mm. Um, and it's just understanding or, or trying to change your perspective on things to, to look at, um, to look at it a different way, you know, you to not necessarily change the goalposts, but just look for the things that you've done well. Yeah, I think also de depends how you how you set your success criteria. So if you set your success criteria is that you have to do it in a, within a certain time or or whatever it is, then yeah, you could see it as a failure. But it depends how you how you define success, I suppose. Yeah, and and and. And even even then, you know, if you've set, uh, if you set this as your benchmark as success, so like I'll go back to the first challenge I did, the twenty-four hour row. Hmm. Um, I obviously my challenge was to beat the world record, hmm. and that's all I thought about for the first six hours. Hmm. But then when I hit that wall and it became about holding on, I I forgot. I wasn't worried that I hadn't hit anywhere close to that, that, that target. Right. I, I was extremely proud that, you know, I, I had completed the 24 hours hmm. um, because of, because of, of where, where I was and, and sort of the, the goalposts, the goalposts did change. And that one was probably easier to accept because it was, it was a it was a huge physical challenge mm. in terms of continuing to row for 18 hours after hitting a brick wall. Mm. Whereas in the, the third challenge where it's a case of giving up, that's stopping. And that was also more of a, there was no longer a physical challenge. That's, that's physically saying I can't do anymore. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it is very much about outlining what the success criteria is, but then it's also been very reactive to, or sorry, not yeah, reactive and proactive to as things change while you're working through through your challenges because it's not something that you've ever done before. So curveballs might get changed, might change up, um, and uh, or, or yeah, stuff stuff does change, and you just have to be reactive to it. But mm. again, it's you know when it comes to these challenges, not being able to complete that doesn't make you a better person. Yeah, it does. It doesn't change, and I think that that was a big difference between doing the twenty-four and the thirty-six hours versus this third one. Is didn't define how people saw me or um, or how people may have felt about me. So why should I? 
why should I let it change how I felt about myself? Yeah. Um, and I think that that sort of was the, the big one of the, one of the big realizations when it came to all those challenges was, um, you know, that it it doesn't so much of it doesn't matter about how other people see you if you don't see yourself in a certain way. It doesn't matter what anyone else says to you. You're never going to see yourself that way. Mm. And I think that was that was sort of coming to terms with uh, it's okay. This is okay and enough. It's okay and this is enough, so to speak. Like you don't have to keep doing more things to be a better person or to be successful. Mm. Um, and so challenges. I, I still look. I still stand by doing challenges and stuff like that in terms of they're great things to do and for growth and development and huge learning curves. Like you learn so much about yourself when you are are doing things like this. Mm. Um, and and so like I, I I definitely agree that there's a place for them. Um, but again, it's it's when you look back at them, it's. Uh, again, how you define what was success, what was failure, what you've learned from it, and how you move forward, uh, how you move forward from it. Because, mm. you know, you can look at finding success and failure in everyday life, yeah. you know, um, and, and it's then becoming, being comfortable with, if you haven't done something, done something the right way, or if you failed at something, you know, it's, it's in the past, it's done and dusted. Yeah. Um, you just got to learn from it and move forward. And I think that's such an interesting, and it's something that I, both with my clients, but also mostly with myself, is something that I, I think this distinction between like what you do and what you are. So like I can do many things that are wrong and shit and horrible, many, and, but I am not wrong. So, or like, it doesn't mean that like I can fail at a million things, but I'm not a failure. So it's like making some kind of distinction between what you do and who you are, I think is, is sometimes quite important. Yeah, agree, agree 100%. Um, and it doesn't mean know. that you take responsibility for it. I'm not saying like, oh, I can just do whatever I want and then I'm still perfect. It, it, you still take responsibility, but it doesn't define you necessarily. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely with that. I think um, if it's stuff that you do consistently over a period of time, then it probably would get to a point where it does start to define you mm. because it's no longer, um, you know, it, it's no longer something that happens every now and then it's, it's a, it's a daily, it's a, a daily habit. Oh. Um, but it, it doesn't. And, and again, it come, I think it comes back to the point where it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to define you unless you let it define you. Mm. Um, it's just, it's, you know, it, it, especially like in the, the day and age we, we live in, it's, you know, you look at how many people look for recognition in the work they do or the lifestyle they live, like especially on something like Instagram, um, that, you know, people, people def or might define whether or not they're successful by how many followers they have on Instagram right. um, or how many likes they get on a picture. Um, you know, you can, you can post a picture with, uh, say for example, um, someone in the gym training doing a particular movement, uh, and they put a great write up down at the bottom about what they're doing and how it's important and they get 50 likes. 
Yeah. They post the same movement without their top on. Yeah. And they just put hashtags underneath that picture, no message. Yeah. And they'll get 10 times the amount of likes. Yeah. And, and sometimes people can let that define them just by what other people say about them. Yeah. But I think it's also sometimes understanding what kind of medium you're bringing it out to and what kind of audience you have. So uh, for sure, a, a half naked picture is going to get you more likes, but what are the likes based on? So is yeah. it just some creeps that are sitting there liking your picture or is it like, because they're actually interested in what you have to say. So I suppose it also depends what you, what you I, want but, to like you for. But I think my, my point with it is letting those likes define whether or not you're being successful. Mm. So I completely agree with the point you're saying on who's liking it. But I mm. think it's the fact that you don't get X number of hot things pop up on your, your Instagram account, whether or not that's defining whether or not you are successful or failing. Yeah. Um, I think when it comes to success and failure, it's again, come back to your point about setting a criteria for what success might look like mm. reviewing it. But then also that, you know, you often hear coaches say that sometimes to take two steps forward, you have to take a step back. Mm-hmm. Um, that failure is going to happen. You know, you hear from all the greatest sportsmen that they uh, failed thousands of times just to succeed once. Yeah. And that, that once was, was good enough for all those, all those failures. And I think, you know, the, the big thing behind it is, is as much as possible is trying to be comfortable with failing. Mm. And then the whole point about it is learning about maybe why you've failed so that you don't make the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose also it depends how you really, again, how you define success and failure. So, many things that other people might see as, as failure. I'm not sure if I would see it as failure because it, it depends what your value is. If your value is to constantly be perfect and to, to do everything perfectly, then there's going to be a lot of failure. But if your value is just, I'm just going to give everything a go and then we see where it goes with that, you probably wouldn't fail because you've given it a go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, that ties to the point again about, like you said, success what that success criteria is. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of, probably less so now, but there's, there's definitely a point where, you know, a lot of, particularly maybe in sports, a lot of people are told they have to be perfect. Mm. And when you're told you have to be perfect, it's very hard to be perfect. Yeah. So it, either way, but yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, then, it's then that point about, you know, you use a smart acronym about, sort of specific measurable attainable uh, goals is is setting those goals and those challenges that are achievable mm. um, not so achievable but that they're easy but definitely they are they are potentially achievable and I think you need to be doing that um, otherwise you are always going to be setting yourself up for failure yeah yeah you wrote a really nice uh, quote in your in your blog on your article and I'll, I'll put a link for your article if people want to read it as well is you wrote that failure gives you proper perspective on success so yeah. how would you say that this kind of experience has shaped how you view success um i wouldn't say it's shaped it just yet okay uh i know it's uh what it's probably a month month since i've done it i think there's still there's still a lot of learning learning for me to to do it 
Hmm. Um, but I've definitely felt like, you know, going through like the lockdown period at the moment, you, you get to spend a lot of time with yourself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, certainly through that, like there's been times where I've woken up in the morning and uh, maybe I haven't gone for the run that I, I planned to go for. Mm-hmm. And guess what? That's okay. I haven't let that define what my day is going to, what my day is going to look like. Um, but where I think where the big thing has come is just speaking about it was probably the, a big thing for me. Yeah. Um, I don't often talk about things that I, I haven't done well. So the fact that I, I wrote something about it um, for me shows like the work that I've been doing over the last two years in terms of uh, my own sort of mental health and growth and development. And that in that phase is is working Mm. um and and so it it does give me a different perspective on things but it it also at the same point how i went about things differently was um it hasn't and i i certainly haven't let it define who i am you know i've still gone about things the same way i would um and and also at the same point uh I didn't, there, there was no real different reaction from um, how people around me should display their affection when I completed two challenges versus the one that I failed. Mm. It didn't change anything, mm-hmm. um, which then comes back to the point that, you know, it, um, it, whether, or not you, whether, whether or not you do those challenges or necessarily succeed or fail at them, isn't going to define how people see you or how, how people who people who you who care about you really, really will look at you. Mm. Um, and that, um, you know, I, I think sort of probably the last point with it is that, you know, when you realize maybe what it kind of looks like, I look back at a load of stuff that I would have done, particularly like in my sports career where I have, failed or possibly given up but mm. i've just been too stubborn to realize it yeah uh, and that that is then in some shape or form that is also some some personal growth because it's that that ability to reflect on things that you don't necessarily want to reflect on yeah and i think it's so important actually that you do share it and you do kind of like talk about it in your like article or whatever in, in general, because of course, when you do the article, you kind of open up the conversation with people around you as well, I suppose. Um, because also otherwise people, they might see you as some kind of uh, role model within them saying, like, oh yeah, you're just doing one challenge after the other. You keep pushing yourself. You never have a rest day. And then you think, this is what I need to be doing. And then you like see, you kind of model yourself on that and you don't see any weakness. So then you think, well, I can have no weakness either. But when you kind of like going out there and say, well, there are some weaknesses and, and I am actually like a real person and, and you know, you, there are some like feelings there and emotions there. I think that's quite a, a important thing to do for the people around you as well, because they will, they will certainly like feel more um, allowed to show weakness maybe. Yeah. 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 Look, I, I, I definitely grew up in a, an environment, you know, particularly at boarding school where weakness was not an option. Mm. So therefore, I don't show it. Yeah. Um, now you and started that journey, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah it's it's only taken what to the age of well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I won't I won't say how old I was when I started learning <laughs> that, um, but it, it's taken a long time to be comfortable with that. And I, I said it at the start of the sort of the chat about asking for help. Mm. Again, that's not something because it's something that you don't get taught. And I, I think when you really want to start creating relationships with people, you have to be able to show them, not show them all sides, but you have to be able to show them the sides that matter. Right. And that, and that again with with failure, um, you know, if you if you if you don't show people that you fail, well, you know, when they fail, how again it comes back to the point. How do they know that you know what it feels like? Mm. Um, or um, that if you say to them, you know, because you don't ever show any failure, that when they fail, you say, look, it's all right to fail. Don't worry. You'll live and learn from this. Mm. But you're not showing that it's all right to. So, so yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, I think it comes back to that whole point about building rapport with people, um, that, that empathy with them, that you know what it might feel like. But at the same point, you're then not becoming a fraud. Yeah. And I, I, fraud is probably a strong word, um, but it's it's just basically you're only showing people the good the good stuff. Mm. Um, and as you sort of alluded to earlier, no one's no one's perfect. Um, and you know, especially if you want to coach and lead people and and build that relationship, they. Uh, Sometimes they need to see the weaker stuff, yeah. the soft, the softer spots being not necessarily. It's not being vulnerable. It's just, it's just showing them that um, you know you're not perfect as well. Because I don't think I don't think anyone can be perfect. You can be, um, you can practice to be perfect. In terms of you can you can train um, to be the best you can to be perfect. Yeah, I but think. Then, Difference between being the best you can be and being perfect, but then, but then being understanding and know that you're not going to be perfect and you're okay with that. You're going to be perfect in your practice, so mm. to speak. You can, you're going to, you're going to give your very best effort every single time or the best you can during that, and and that that's okay. And I think also, it, if you if you never show any weakness, or even like we talked about with social media, some people show some kind of like weakness, which is not a weakness, like kind of like a picture in the moment. You're like, oh, look how horrible I look with no makeup, but you look like stunning. Um, you know, it's not like, it's not real weakness, but really actually showing who you are. I think the more you show who you are, and this is something I've, I've noticed with myself, that the more I'm honest about everything and I'm like just putting all my like faults out there. And in the beginning, I was like, people are going to be like, who is this freak? But actually people just love you even more because they just think, well, it's so great to see someone who just like is that vulnerable that they can, that they can put everything out there. So I think. Well, they're, it, just, they're, just, they're just being themselves. Mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, so, they're, being, they're being authentic, which so yeah. they're, they're being, being authentic, which I think is really, it's, it's a lot easier for people to connect with. Yeah. So, so for me, obviously, like kind of sport is like a reflection of, of life. And it sounds like obviously for you that it's not just affected you, you in your sports, but it's, you know, a whole life yeah. uh, in whole life. So what, what, what lessons have you kind of learned or, or do you think you're still in the process of learning those lessons or do you apply those to your life in general? Um, I mean, I, I think because everything I've done has been sport and fitness anyway, it's probably, it's probably crossed over to it. Mm. Um, in terms of things like discipline, 
uh, training hard, um, uh, and I, I suppose I wouldn't have given so much thought about it because it just happens naturally. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I think so much of it just comes back down to enjoyment of it, um, and. Uh, And it's it's. I think I think through through all the sport and stuff I've done, there, there there's a lot that comes back to is that we are, we have the ability to do a lot of things, mm. we a lot of things, but so much of it comes back to uh, what we believe about ourselves in between, sort of up here. Yeah. Um, you know if if we aren't sort of confident with our own abilities, if we haven't built ourselves up to that feeling that we can do these things, um, then we're probably not going to be able to do them. Mm. And so I think there is, there is a, a confidence side of things. There is, um, you know, with sport, you always want to be better. So I suppose in life, that's definitely, that's definitely something that I've carried on with is that I'm, I always want to be better. Yeah. Um, and and it's not you know I don't measure it every single day, um, but it's definitely something that I sort of strive strive for. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, what a good uh, way to finish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I just want to thank you so much, obviously, for talking to me. It was really interesting to hear like your take on mental toughness and failure, and I'm sure that people will find it really interesting to hear and i think whether you're you train then you can maybe use it in your training but i think if you're even if you're not um like an athlete or someone who, who loves training uh, like you do then um then i think you can apply it to your life as well it kind of goes over into into everything really yeah i, I look I, I definitely i mean i think in my head i like to class myself as an athlete yeah um, and uh, and I, I think at some stage, all of us, all of us are, but you know, it's, it's just, I think with, with so much of the stuff that sort of we've, we've spoken about people go through on a, on a day to day basis anyway. And sometimes people are one scared about talking about stuff because they're worried about how people are going to react. Um, and whether or not that's acceptable. Uh, and I think it's, it's it's pretty important that you know people learn that it's one it's okay to talk about stuff it's okay to show the stuff that you know didn't go the way it should have mm. um and that again it it doesn't it doesn't make much of a difference if i'm honest um unless you don't learn unless you don't learn from those those lessons so to speak mm. you know it's it's a, you know coming back to the mental health side of things they obviously use the slogan it's okay to not be okay yeah um and because you you know when people ask how you're doing someone will say well i'm okay in actual fact they're not yeah and it's the same thing when you look at your your training side of things is if you keep shutting out the stuff that you feel like you are failing at or you're missing at and you bury those things guess what they're still going to be there mm. um you have you have to you have to confront them you have to learn from them you have to um because otherwise all that happens is you just keep going around in those circles, so to speak. Yeah. And I think if you, if for me or in my experience, I think if you block some emotions, so if you're blocking like the difficult ones or the ones that you don't like, 
I think if you cannot just choose, pick and choose like which emotions that you like, and then you have to kind of like take it all. So if you're, if you're saying, okay, I would like just a joy and <laughs> all these ones that I like, then if you're blocking out the anger and all these things, you're also blocking out like joy, love, happiness, all these things as well. So I think coming to this point where you can like accept everything fully is, is a good thing. Yeah, and, be, and being, being comfortable with those things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But it's, a work in progress yeah definitely definitely <laughs> agree with that yeah i'm yeah. sure sure for everyone um yeah so thank you very much i'll link to your article as well uh, in the comments if anyone would like to um uh, read more about it okay thank you no worries i'll stop recording